Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up? It's Brandy Rose here, popping in before you enjoy the show to tell you that after I recorded and produced most of the show, I made a Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash bucket productions, that's B-U-C-K-I-T productions, we have a bunch of tiers with a bunch of rewards uh, where you can bundle the shows you want to support or support all of them or support everything that I do. You range from, you know, a $3 tier to a $50 tier. So there's something for everyone. Make sure you go check it out. All right, I'll stop bothering you. You can keep listening to the show now. Go, listen to the show. This podcast may contain some adult language and some adult themes. Listener discretion or headphones are advised. This podcast is also not spoiler-free, so keep that in mind before you take a listen. Enjoy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus before we get to today's episode, I just want to give you guys all a quick trigger warning. We're going to be discussing mentions of suicide and sexual assault because of the nature of those topics in the anime Given, which is what we're talking about today. So any and all trigger warnings that go for Given also go for this episode specifically about cringe warning. But without further ado, welcome back to Cringe Warning. I'm your host, Brandy Rose, and today we have Livia with us again, and I'm super, super excited to have you back, and we're going to be talking about Given, and it's going to get super cringy. So let's let's get started. Hi, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm so psyched. Um, I don't know if we should tell them. Maybe we should, just to let them know, like, this is technically the second time that we're recording this episode. We just felt like we this could is. express ourselves better. Than we did originally. And yeah, I we recorded agree. one episode. I ruminated on it for probably about a month, and then I rewatched the series, reread the series again for like the fourth and third times, and I realized that a lot of my opinions had changed, and I had a lot of new perspectives on things, and I was like, I would like to do this series justice because it is my favorite series. So we are re-recording. I'm excited because honestly, I did the same thing. Like afterwards, like even when I was editing it, I was like, I probably wouldn't say that now. 
Also, since then, I have become an Akigetsu truther, which we will discuss more in depth what that means later on. But I know you, and I know you have bullet points, so let's just dive in with the bullet points. Let's hit it. Let's go. Let's get straight into it. So I took my notes, as I usually do, in chronological order, Mm -hmm. and just diving right into the heavy stuff, right at base first, is that one of the very first shots of the episode, one mm-hmm. minute into episode one, is Mafia finding Yuki's body. Yep. So I had somehow missed this the first and second times that I watched the anime. Seriously? Um, but this time, it slapped me in the face. It slapped me in the face the first time I watched it, and I was like, oh my god. Somehow what a I way to start. Oh my god. But I caught it this time that I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, like we know that Mafia has been through some shit. He mm-hmm. is carrying a lot of grief. Um, he's physically carrying around this guitar. He doesn't know how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. He just carries it because it is a memento of his late boyfriend, Yuki. And our first appearance of Mafia with Ritsuka is that he's sleeping in a stairwell, holding onto this guitar, spooning it the way that you would hold another person. Mm-hmm. When he's talking to Ritsuka, he's holding this guitar like protectively, like keeping it away from him, like guarding it with his body. Mm-hmm. Super painful stuff. But then, of course, we get to one of the strings is broken, and Ritsuka is the one to fix it for him. So Ritsuka is coming into his world through Yuki's guitar. Mm -hmm. And later on, Ritsuka is the one who, just to completely spoil the entire series, (laughs) is the one who is asked to adapt a song that Yuki had written implicitly for Mafia. Mm -hmm. So just this like connection of like Mafia to to Ritsuka to Yuki is established from the very start and it's a little detail that doesn't really hit unless you've seen it a few times but then once you have it like it slaps me in the face right it hurt my feelings um when i I love that like given is a story of grief and loss in like many many different ways and it took me a few rewatches to realize or like put together because i know we do know that um of course uh, part of the grief that Mafia carries around with him is the way that he kind of grew up. Um, and the fact that he has, like, a dad who was so abusive that he is in prison and, uh, assumedly, still in prison. Um, and that he's very young. I keep forgetting that they are in high school. Like, this is something that, like, true happened when he was little. But, like, when you're in high school, that's not very long ago. And Yuki yeah. was the one to help him through that. So I think that's Yuki part of, like, the grief. Person. Yuki was. was the person who kind of saved him from this really abusive situation with his mm-hmm. dad. When his dad is being taken away by the police in handcuffs, it's Yuki who's with him and holding his hand, like, mm-hmm. really protectively. Um, so the way in which Yuki died Aww. is that... He and Mafia had had a fight because yeah. they were growing really distant because Yuki was in a band. He was giving all this attention to this band and neglecting Mafia. It became a fight. Yuki says, you know, I'll quit playing music. I won't get involved in this band anymore. I'll devote all of my attention to you. The oh, fight continues. Boy. And he says, I don't want to live without you. 
And Mafu says, okay, will you die for me then? And he does. So yeah. I hated that. I hated that so much because it's still not Mafuyu's fault that he no. died at all. Not even remotely close to being his fault, but by framing it that way, there's so many people that they that blame Mafuyu for that. And I'm like, first of all, these are two kids. Second of all, it is never your fault if somebody else does something to themselves like that. That is not to be put on someone else, especially not another child. So I'd love to talk about Yuki because Please. it hurts a lot. And yes. we really didn't talk about Yuki almost at all the first time that we recorded this episode. So trigger warning for suicide depiction. Right. Um, in the anime, I didn't catch... I have to reread the manga to see if this happens in the manga. But one thing that I noticed in the anime is that Initially, it was unclear to me if Yuki's death was supposed to be intentional or an accident. Right. Because the way that it's narrated is that Yuki, who almost never drank, drank a huge amount of alcohol. Yes. And that's how Mafia found him. But the way that they depicted in the anime is that Mafia was looking up at him and Yuki's upright and his feet are not on the ground. The floor. Yeah. So implicitly, he got drunk and hung himself. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> A really big difference to, to from that, yeah. something like alcohol poisoning that could have been interpreted as an accident. Yeah. But also, what I'd like to say about Yuki is that he is depicted as being this very like bright, happy character mm -hmm. who draws people into his life. He's really charismatic. He you know brings joy to these people around him. Almost no one who commits suicide does it on a hair trigger. Yeah. Like, no prior feelings of suicidality. No. So I would love to see the series get into the possibility that Yuki was actually carrying a lot of pain himself because Yuki also didn't have a father yeah. and grew up with a single mom. And that's how he could relate to Mafio. So that's that's painful. I would love for them, because right now, because what I've heard also mostly from you about the manga is that they're like, diving into stuff that like we don't particularly need to see or care about so like instead it would be fucking sick if like we spent a little time with yuki like i understand that the whole like first arc of, of given is getting over or not getting over so much as moving on from the from the mourning period of yuki but like but yuki's like still an instrumental there's a spider <laughs> It's, um, it's very far away from me, so I'm okay, but I will not be taking my eyes off it for the next 45 minutes. Anyway. You're good. Um, <laughs> I forgot so what I was saying, so just go ahead. does deal with some side plots in a way that can occasionally feel like going down a rabbit hole, but I think that in recent chapters, um, Natsuki Kizu has really pulled it all together in a way that makes a lot of sense and makes you understand why we needed to go down those rabbit holes, such as Hiragi and Shizasumi. Are you good? I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. You're terrified. I'm okay. I'm sorry. I did not hear a single word you just said. It's good. I'm it got sorry. recorded. It's fine. It's fine. Oh my god. Yeah. No. I think I kind of got that last bit. I will just look at you and try and try to pretend spiders aren't real. Anyway, yes. You're good. I was just saying that she's assuming Hiragi is actually. It does end up becoming really relevant. All right. Um, we love that. Anyway. Right, right. Yes. Yes. What? Continuing. Because I know this bit's going to get edited out. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is really funny. I'm leaving this in. 
Anyway, moving moving on anyway, from my near death experience. Yes. Back to grief. I'm in it. I'm in it. All right. One of my favorite things about Given as a series is that the depiction of grief is so real and so palpable beyond the realm of just I want to write a story that's really sad. Right. Um, it feels very realistic and representational of what it's like to really grieve a significant loss of a person or a situation in your life. And I think that that's part of why we lose so much and why it kind of delegitimizes the story when it gets mm -hmm. painted as just like, Given is so sad. Like oh, I fucking it's hate so it sad. when people say that because the whole anime is actually like super hopeful. The tone of the whole show, I mean, it's just one season. The tone of the whole show is so hopeful and like relatively like upbeat and very funny. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of humor throughout the show and there's a lot of very happy moments and wholesome moments and really sweet, cute things because it's not a story so much about grief stagnant as like just the loss it's a story about after and during the loss like the process of grief including the most important part of processing grief coming out of it yeah given carries a lot of tragedy and it carries a lot of pain mm -hmm. and a lot of sadness but that is all making way for hope like these characters are not just being needlessly tortured, mm -hmm. which is something that we see a lot in BL and with like tragic plots and like Animanga in general. Yeah. Like Mafia has been through something completely hellish and unimaginable to a lot of people that's clearly deeply traumatized him and changed the entire trajectory of his life. Mm -hmm. But he's being pushed through that pain into a place of healing and into a place of hope and renewed like passion for his life and his creative self and mm -hmm. his future. And we watch him hit every single wall. We watch uh, him yeah. make every misstep in a way that feels very real to the process of not only healing from grief, but healing from trauma. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't get over it right away. No. He struggles a lot with being able to find the words and to verbally express what happened to him. And a lot of times he takes one step forward and two or three steps back and he's like figuring out his way, he's figuring out how to survive and go on in real time. And that's a process that like we never get to see in mm -hmm. any media. Yeah. It was also super important to me that when he was going through the steps of realizing he has feelings for its again, he has um he has he he doesn't have like a, a whole big I can never love anyone but you keep but like he just he kind of like notices it. And notices yeah. it more. And then he gets to accept it. And nobody ever makes him feel bad for moving on. Because I was really dreading that. But nobody that I remember makes makes him feel bad. You're doing jazz little fingers. I'm so stoked because I have notes on this. Okay. It's true. So the way that Mafia falls for Ritska is very slow and very gradual and very calm. In a way mm -hmm. that, like, usually in any kind of, like, Animango, we get the moment you know yeah. there's like the moment where something huge happens or a grand gesture and mm -hmm. they fall for each other and there's confession and that's it but it's like mafia doesn't fall in love with ritsuka he like walks into it mm -hmm. casually and ritsuka kind of stumbles huge. into it but he's still he happy about trips it and falls face first yeah you know what? we love that for him mm -hmm. because it shows that like there are different yes. if given teaches us anything it's that everybody loves differently Yes. Oh. And I think that it's so important that 
this scene in particular really stood out to me this time mm-hmm. is that when Matthew tells the band about Yuki's mom giving him the guitar, literally they're all sitting around like at A and W or something, like yeah. eating hamburgers, and he says, "My dead boyfriend's mom gave me this guitar," and nobody freaks out. Yeah, like Haruki internally is like, "What?" But like Matthew and Itsuka are both just like, "This is not the time to yeah. like make a whole fucking thing about yeah. this." Like they treat it as if he had said, "I got this at Guitar Center." Like yeah. It's casual, it's a, it's a non-event. And I think that, like, when, as traumatized people, yeah. when we express, like, our trauma sometimes, that response of, like, oh, you poor thing, uh, oh, my God, I have no idea. Like, that makes it a million times harder to open up, that, like, coddling, mm-hmm. like, patronizing bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that he didn't have to sit through that and that everybody's just like, yeah, you're dead boyfriend. Yeah, sure. I like it when people, because I think a great response to people opening up is to match their energy. My rule is if I'm not crying, you're not allowed to cry if I tell you something that happened to me. That is the ballpark rule I have found typically hits true for a lot of people. Like, if I'm not crying, you're not crying. If I'm not freaked about it, you're not going to be freaked about it. Or if you are, be freaked about it privately. Do not make it my problem. And he just, like, casually, I love Mafuyu. I love I love that he really is just, like, doing his best. And he is written as a, like, realistic character, not necessarily as an Animanga character where, like, sometimes they say things unrealistically or react unrealistically for audience purposes. Like, um, like... To convey tonality, sometimes characters will say something in a way that is so overdramatic, there's no way anybody would say it like that in real life. Especially not if they've actually experienced it, but it's to, like, convey that it's a sad thing. But, like, he just gets to exist, and he gets to feel, and he gets to present it how he wants, and everybody just accepts it and deals with it. And I, I I love how Ritzkiff, like, falls in love. It's my favorite. He's my favorite character in the whole show. But, like, he's also the character that I felt like I needed to rewatch the most scenes of to, like, actually get to know him since so much of him happens, like, in his head, you know? Yeah. I love him. I though. love Ritsuka a lot. I love that Ritsuka gets to be a teenage boy yes. in this situation. Um, <laughs> his clumsiness, like, in his affection, his, like, inability to deal with his emotions sometimes and the way that he doesn't really know how to deal with what Mafia is going through, but he tries his best, is so real. And like, he's not pressured to do anything that Mm -hmm. he's not able to do or to give anything that he's not able to give. And Mafia doesn't expect him to. do his best. Mm -hmm. That's what I really liked is that Mafia didn't like, at no point was it like, I'm hurting and I need you to drag me out of it. But it was like, I was hurting and I am hurting. But also, I'm capable of feeling attraction and affection for you. And yeah. they don't detract from each other. They're both there. I need you to be cool with that. And Ritsuka's just like, of course I'm fucking cool with that. I'm sorry. You like me? He's just so... He's so I cute. Their Adele. first kiss scared the fuck out of me, though. I did oh, not yeah? see it coming. I was like, wait, holy fuck, what? Like, both Mafuyu and I were, like, blinking at the screen. I found out about Given from, like, a gif set and Ooh, okay. the kiss was part of the gif set so i always knew that it was a thing um what i love about mafiyama is that mafiyama. it's allowed to stand as its own relationship yeah and it doesn't get like delegitimized in this sense of like how do i say this 
in anime, there's a lot of, like, the one. Right. Like, usually in anime pairings. I've seen like, that a lot, yeah. one else. Like, you're the only one for me. Mafia was in love with Yuki. Yeah. Mafia was, like, in deeply committed long-term love with Yuki. Like, they were each other's, like, first sexual experience. They yeah. shared, like, a lot of, like, really close, intimate experiences. And that doesn't take away from how he feels about Ritsuka. Yeah. Again, if Given teaches you anything, it's that everybody loves differently. Every relationship is different and mm-hmm. incomparable. Yep. And that is a really good segue to the other main pairing and a half. Uh, we have Akiharu and Akiketsu. And I think that point is also very like well-made with like another expansion of like everybody loves differently. And sometimes the way that you are capable of loving someone is a not enough for them it doesn't mean you're not enough it just means like that is not enough for the situation or for this person and b sometimes it's actively like you are not good for each other in this point of in time and it's not to say you could never be and it's not to say you never were but love like the way that you love people depends also wholly on like where you are in your life and if you guys are in places that are incompatible it's not personal so much as just like if you're love, if you if the place in your life is incompatible, the way that you love each other could also very easily become incompatible, and then that can veer off from incompatible to like hurtful really quickly. Yeah. So what I want to say about Akigetsu, I have a lot. I could literally do like a five-hour TED talk about Akigetsu and still mm-hmm. not be done talking. Like literally, I could write a whole PhD thesis about this. Good pairing. Yes. I obviously love Akigetsu a lot, mm-hmm. which is a really really unpopular opinion i love him too i like because i don't think he's perfect i just think he's a really cool fucking character and i get him i get him i get him so instead of like getting into like the the mud Mm -hmm, slinging mm -hmm. about akigetsu versus akiharu i want to talk about how akigetsu subverts some of the shittiest tropes in bl Mm -hmm. and how it carries us into akiharu yeah so the trope of, like, the romanticized toxic relationship in, like, romance and a manga right. and especially in BL is huge. Mm-hmm. But with Akigetsu, they're not better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harming both of them. It hinders their progress in life, their creativity, their growth. It's very, like, the unbearable lightness of being. In spite of their love, they've made each other's lives a hell. Mm-hmm. As toxic and awful as their relationship is, it's egalitarian in a way that like we almost never see in anime or BL. Like yeah. they both take turns being the aggressor. They both take turns being the victim. They both have qualities that the other person lacks. And something that's very honest about them is that like they both acknowledge that rather than admiring these qualities like these qualities in each other, they resent them for it. Aki, by his own admission, says that he has hated Ugetsu from the moment he met him because he was envious of, like, his ability to create and, like, share his feelings through music. And then Ugetsu starts to resent him as he feels himself being smothered by their relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's very, like, they were doomed from the start. And even though there is no shortage of love and passion between them, what we get is, like you said, the unfortunate truth that love is almost never enough on its own when your circumstances are falling apart, when Mm -hmm. the relationship is falling apart. Mm -hmm. I think their age is actually a really interesting and important factor in their story because they're in college. And Mm -hmm. the thing about that time in your life, I'd say 
age 19 to age 25, you are at least 12 different people. And having a relationship, I'm not saying it's not possible. A lot of people are in relationships from that time. But to be fair, a lot of people in relationships for a long time aren't in successful relationships for a long time. You just have it broken up. But like they, those relationships, you change so much. You, it is almost impossible to change together identically. And if you could, you shouldn't. Because that isn't natural and that isn't healthy. And one of you is going to be sacrificing your entire growth and development and personality if you are trying to match the way somebody else is growing in that, like, crucial time of, like, brain development and, like, life changes. So, like, I think that's, like, a perfect setting for the depiction of a relationship like this. And I also really love that, like, they... They, yeah, like you said, they, they don't romanticize each other really at all. They just go like, I I know that I love you. And I know that for some reason, fucking broke back mountain ass, I can't quit you or I haven't been able to. But this is awful. And we're killing each other. Like emotionally, we are exhausting each other and we're hurting each other because we just don't know what else to do. And I think, I don't know what it was, but I recently heard a fucking song on TikTok and one of the fucking lyrics, I'm so blanking on what it is, but it was like, yours is the only love I've ever known. And I was like, oh, Akiketsu. Oh, my God. And that's, like, scary um, to move away from. It is. I won't get into my headcanon, right. which is that Ugetsu has borderline personality disorder, which all I'm going to say about that is that I'm right. <laughs> but I think that I see once... It. Once you come to the Akigetsu truther side or just the Ugetsu truther side and mm. you like acknowledge that I am right, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense because a lot of the ways in which Ugetsu acts out are very like frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Yeah. And um, I mean, you really see that, especially when they actually do really end things. And by they, I mean when Aki actively like makes that final cut. And at first, Ugetsu's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you you are right, and then this is good. And then you see that, like, flash. You can almost see it like a real person, that flash of panic that starts in your chest and just goes up and, like, comes out of you. And is just eyes full of tears and, and panic and frantic because it's like this. This, because, like, the thing is, familiar is comfortable. Familiar does not mean good. Familiar yeah. just means familiar, and comfortable does not mean good either. It just means that you know this situation. Like, even you can get comfortable with anything. You're comfortable with pain. You can get comfortable with, with being hurt, with being abused. You can get comfortable in the familiarity of a lot of things. And suddenly leaving that, although it is for the better, for everyone's better, it's like, it's so scary because you don't remember, and they've been together for so long. You don't remember what it's like to be out there like fully on your own and like then that opens up the potential like you maybe have to do this all over again and maybe you have to do this all over again several times and that's fucking that's just new and instinctually that's terrifying and the the abandonment there is is like super clear that scene breaks my heart every time is to me that is the saddest scene and given when he's crying on the street reaching it out my heart mm-hmm. so i want to talk about a scene that is equally painful for oh, a different reason because yep. I have a lot to say about this scene. I want to talk about the couch scene oh. between Akiharu. Oh boy. We need to talk about How it. Do... I'll tell you why. Yes, we do need to talk about it. Is that this scene directly and intentionally subverts the common BL trope of sexual assault as a getting together moment. Yeah, that does happen a so... lot. Literally like Takaichi. Um just to name one. 
Um, have I seen all of it? Yes. Do I love the tropes? No, not at all. But like, I also trigger warning for this. Oh, we're going to be discussing what can and what we classify as a sexual assault. What is heatedly debated and online and in person probably also. But uh, it's definitely not consensual and uh, is is maybe a little bit triggering. So like keep keep that in mind if you're you might want to like fast forward a couple I don't know, ten minutes or something. I don't know how long we're gonna be talking about the scene, but you know, keep fast forwarding until we don't seem to be talking about it if this is too much for you. <laughs> Let's get into it. So usually these scenes are the getting together moment. The mm-hmm. bottom is made to go with it because yeah. they secretly like it, which Ugh. is terrible. We all know it's ter- we all hate yeah. it. In given it's not completed. Yeah. Nothing, nothing quote-unquote happens. Before it it really gets seriously bad. But it sets them back. It Mm -hmm. actively hinders them from getting together at that moment. It inspires Aki to get his shit together so that he won't do that ever again. And so that he doesn't come into a relationship with Haru repeating these patterns from his really toxic situation with Mm Yugetsu. Because if you're watching it like in the movie is that not long yeah. before this, we see Aki approach Ugetsu with almost the same energy. Yeah. Ugetsu gets home, Aki forcefully grabs him, shoves him down, yeah. and it, like very aggressively initiates sex with him. So Aki is obviously coming from a place of anger mm-hmm. when he does this, which makes him more aggressive. But he is approaching Haru with the energy that he has been approaching Ugetsu with yeah. implicitly for years. So yeah. he's used to this being the way that he goes about sex, yeah. which is... We hate it, yep. but, but in stops. this situation, his actions have real tangible consequences. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things is that Haru tells him that his behavior was not acceptable. Yeah, He says that he consented to what Aki was trying to do, but not to how he was doing it, yeah. which is massive distinction. Yeah. And he demands his time to be given like emotional space and to process what happened and to deal with it. Like He mm-hmm. literally is clearly affected by it he goes and cuts all of his hair off yeah um he makes it really clear to aki that he is not entitled to treat him in that way and that yep. it, you know if it ever happens again like that is the end of it yeah like, we're straight up not doing this i literally don't think that i've ever seen a conversation like this happen in a piece of media ever yeah no let alone not. in animanga let alone never in a boy in love literally oh god never, never in my life in a bl so I, as much as I absolutely hate this scene, I think that it's huge mm-hmm. for that reason because, like, straight up, Natsuki Kyuzu was like, we're not doing this rape culture shit. Nope. Like, I'll show it, but, like, we're subverting it and we're showing that, like, this is not romantic. This yeah. is not something to strive nope. for in a relationship. And I love that you Aki's, like, Haru says, you can't do this to me. You know, like, you know how I feel about you. You've known. Yeah. It's not a secret. You know I'm in love with you. And you are abusing that. And I will not let you abuse my feelings. Because it doesn't matter how much I feel for you. I'm not so desperate to have you that I'm going to let you treat me like shit. Okay? Absolutely yeah. not. He draws the boundary and he holds it. And I love it. Huge. Absolutely huge. And you know what Aki does? The next time he wants to touch Haruki... He asks for consent first. And it's like months later. He's a like really he's like long time. distanced himself fully. They haven't had consistent contact. Given hasn't even really been practicing often and and they like he's been together for like several months immediately. They afterward. did. They did do but, that. But I hated then he that. Moves but, out and then they take space. Yep, yeah, I did hate that. But then but even then, uh 
even in a close quarter situation, Haru maintains the boundary extremely mm -hmm. firmly, and I love him for it so much. And he doesn't apologize for shit. Like, he comes in oh. with short hair, and Aki is visibly stunned and shocked because he also, like, I think kind of knows, I think it's implied that he knows that the long hair was for him because he, he's, like, been said to like long hair. Because he has a hair fetish. Yeah, but, like, and he knows that it was cut off, and he just, he knows that the major change is definitely to do with, like, what happened between them. And he kind of looks like he's expecting an explanation, and Haru does not give it to him. He's like, no, I did this. This is fucking, what? Say something. And Aki's just like, oh, nothing. No, Haru is like forceful. Haru is so great. Like, I love Haru, setting. and I kin Haru, and I love Haru. Like it is something that like we have needed mm -hmm. in Animanga, we have needed in BL forever, and I'm so glad that we finally have a character who is like, no, actually, mm -hmm. you don't get to do this to me. So Haru inspires Aki to get his shit together, to stop spinning his wheels in these same cycles, and. Like, yeah, inarguably, Haru is the best person for him to be with. Especially at one point, Haru says that he just can't hate Aki, which mm -hmm. I think is, like, a really good callback to mm -hmm. Aki saying that he hated Ugetsu from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Their relationship, obviously, is everything that Aki needed in a partnership. Like, yeah. he says when he's talking about Ugetsu that, like, he thought that love would be softer. He thought that love would be kinder. And obviously the love that he gets with Haru is. But it's not something that's just handed to him. Yeah. And I think that especially what's important is that even when he gets his shit together, Haru doesn't hand himself over to him. No. Haru isn't sitting around waiting for him to get his shit together. How does Aki living goes life. and does it, and then he has to come to him. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And then even then, it's not just like, okay, all is forgiven and we're great. It's like, okay, then you can have that chance mm -hmm. that you wanted, and we'll see how it goes. And, like, because the feelings are still there, and we can explore them now. But, like, the boundaries don't go away. They stay there. And, uh, but also, Aki doesn't necessarily fully put Haru on a pedestal so much as it's just like, I didn't deserve you. And it's not because you're just like this otherworldly, not human person. It's because I was a piece of shit. And I needed to get my shit together and I was still acting very toxically and I needed to rectify that to make sure that I didn't bring that into a new relationship. Which honestly, I wish everyone who gets out of a relationship would take a small sabbatical and um, mm -hmm. maybe look at how they've been, uh, you know, what their dynamics have been and then maybe kind of check and see if there's anything you can heal um, before you go and do that shit to another person because I've witnessed many people that I've dated and also like that I've been friends with who've seen, I've seen date literally just have this do the same shit every every single relationship's the same shit over and over and over and i'm like and you and it never occurs to you that maybe that maybe there's some patterns that need a break in um i mean like i know pot kettle black but i'm aware of myself and i'm doing my best and i'm actively single so like you could you know it was a little sabbatical it'll take up the violin and fucking see what happens um aki, aki needed that time he did he would have if he had like if they had gotten together after the couch scene... It would have been bad. It would have, it would have been apart. terrible. It would have been exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It would have been the same dynamic as before. It probably would have fucked up the entire band for everybody. I think Haru would have absolutely uh, like lost the love that he had for, for Aki yeah. immediately. It would have soured have immediately. 
Um, so and that would have been really devastating to the kids also because they do like them a lot and they, they look up to them and they keep going to them for fucking advice. Mafuyu constantly going to Getsu for advice fucks me up still because it's like, this is a random man you don't know. I think that it's a random man you don't know. Getsu are kind of meant to be almost like foils of each other. Yeah. Um, because it's not necessarily accurate to say that they are extremely similar yeah because i don't think that they necessarily are but i do see like people comparing like akigetsu to like mafiyama i Um, don't see it as much but what i do see is the similarity and the only similarity that i really see in them is the ability to communicate your feelings through music and technically that is what he goes there probably is the is the uh, connecting thread because they really don't have much in common. I think that like they bond over a shared sense of loneliness, mm-hmm. um, which like Ugetsu is very, Ugetsu is incredibly lonely as a character. Mm-hmm. He says to Mafu that he has no one in his life except Baraki, um, which is a situation that, I mean, they both kind of created. Yeah. They both like were each other's like exclusive like person in their lives codependency this is something that happens when you have borderline personality disorder yeah Um, no absolutely like that's that is extremely extremely common um that does happen a lot especially with like specifically like the issues of of uh BPD where like you can only process things in extremes which means a person is everything or a person is nothing that's what I'm saying. Listen, I can say this. I'm a fellow cluster B individual. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Ugetsu is incredibly lonely. Mafu also is carrying a lot of loneliness. He says, mm-hmm. like, repeatedly, like, I'm not lonely, I'm not lonely. But to like, me, it didn't feel like that was, like, an absolute declaration of his feelings. I feel like he says it to himself more as, like, an reassurance. affirmation. Yeah. And also, like, characters are allowed to lie, which I think <laughs> a lot of people fucking forget. When they watch stuff, it's like, you know, they could be lying, right? It's like a whole he device. Unreliable narrators exist for he a reason. He could be lying. He could be in lying. In the scene where he plays the song, he's oh, like, baby. in the manga, like, the panel just says, I'm so lonely. Um, which, you know what? Let's talk about the song. Let's talk about um, the song. Here's something that I didn't catch because I didn't realize that the, the beach scene with Yuki was yeah. animated because they hit it after the credits. Um, right, they did. I think it was episode nine. I don't fucking remember. I think it was episode nine. Yeah. Um, the scene with Yuki at the beach where they are walking and Yuki keeps saying five more minutes. Like, we can go in five more minutes because I want you to, like, never forget this day. Mm-hmm. And Yuki is, like, humming the same song that yeah. is the song that Mafia ends up creating Mm -hmm. and what we find out is that mafia has been like humming this song since all the way back when he was with yuki Mm -hmm. but he didn't become cognizant of it himself until yuki sang it back to him that day on the beach yeah and then he was like what's that and it's like you've literally been singing this the whole time you've been singing this for fucking ages when i tell you (sighs) that nothing in my fucking animanga watching life has wounded me like that because this is something that really only exists in the anime because they didn't have they did there was a song in the manga right. it wasn't written like they right, wrote the how? song for the anime which i think they did an impeccable job they did. and as you have pointed out yuki is doing harmonies on that song mm, yeah. ouch I know. 
I had to send yep. it to you the moment I found that TikTok where they like amplified the sound to hear uh, Yuki harmonizing. I was like, we're gonna send this to Livia and hurt her feelings. Wounded me. It wounded me. Um, it's so good though. It's so good. It's so good, and it really made up for all of the la 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 las that we that had to. Was. You know how hard it is to sing that off. Kudos to the voice actor. That's fucking difficult as shit. And it's so fucking funny to me. twice, that too. I know. And Ritsuki just, like... But the cool thing is, when Ritsuki looks at him, he looks at him in, like, awe. And I was just like, where are you pulling this awe from? But then when you do it, I think it is for the band the second time, right? The band looks, like, confused as shit. And I was like, yeah, I'm also oh, confused as shit. Okay, he does it three times. He does it once for Ritsuki in the hallway. God, he does it once so for the embarrassing. band. But the second time... There's no sound. We don't have to hear it. Thank that you. was gracious of them. That was the gracious. third time is after he runs into Hiragi and right. straight pieces out of there and is running and Ritsuka catches up with him and is like, I don't know what the fuck is going on about what, but like you do have thoughts. You are able to express yourself. I can feel it when you sing. And no. he's like he's like, Mafia, sing for me and I'm like, No, no. <laughs> We're like, Mafia, you do not sing for him, please. Derail whole anime to shut the fuck up. Was over. Um, Which, God. Side note, because we mentioned him, or I just mentioned him, is the last time we recorded this, I was like, I don't understand why the fuck I have to sit through this Hiragi and Shizasumi plot. Now, I would die for them. Here's the thing I don't remember who that fucking is. Oh, that's uh, Mafia's childhood friends. Right, those guys. Barely yeah. fucking remember them. I need I, to do a rewatch, like a proper I would one, and pay attention to them. down the stairs to defend them. <laughs> I adore them. They're now like maybe my second favorite pairing in the show. I, I love, I love them so much. And like initially, I was like, why do I have to fucking sit through this? And now I'm like, I would sit through twenty volumes of this. I am really curious about them. I will have to do a rewatch because I don't remember them, and I've already forgotten their names. This is like Tadashi from from Skate for you. This is this is my Tadashi from Skate. I don't it's fucking remember their the fucking anime. names. It's barely. It's in the manga though, situation. isn't it? Like more. What are they in the manga more? Oh yeah. Oh man. A lot more. There's they're they're barely in the anime at all. They probably will be in the OVA more that's coming out in December. Oh my god, that's but... right. Fuck, I forgot. Yeah, that's, that's coming out soon. We, getting ready to cry. Oh, getting, fucking I'm getting my tear ducts boy! I just, I really, I hope they don't fuck with uh, Mafuyama too much. Well, they're carrying on from the, so they're animating scenes from the manga that didn't get animated that happened in between the movie like, and the Mafuyama show. getting together and like Akigetsu breaking up. Oh, okay. So, like. So, like, I already know, like, everything that's going to happen. Like, right. Um, it's fine. Okay. Mafia I mean, in the end, like, okay. we know that they're okay because if this takes place before the breakup, but after the breakup, Mafuyama are fine. Of, of Akigetsu. Yeah, I know, I know. But, like, because, uh, because Mafuyama don't break up. No, I know. But, like, uh, before the breakup of, of uh, Ugetsu and Aki. So, yeah. I, but I know that after the breakup of, of Ugetsu and Aki, like, Maf- Mafuyama is totally fine. So I know that anything that happens before that must also end up being okay, because in the end, they end up okay. Um, but yeah, well, they... they're not okay as of chapter 43, but... Oh, God, I know. I'm... That's a whole beast. I'm upset. We'll talk about that probably next season, TBH, because we'll have the yep. OVA and stuff to talk about. Um, can't believe we're getting given OVA before Ice Adolescence, but okay. I, I hate <laughs> that they even brought up Ice Adolescence again. 
I, I will never forgive them for dropping that mini teaser trailer. That wasn't even a real trailer. It was literally half a scene. Like, I, I will never forgive them for that because why would you do that to me? Why would you bring that up again if, if, if it's not coming out? Why? Homophobia. Honestly. Um, but yes, that is a really good place for us to stop on for this episode. Uh, thanks so much for being here. And because we're re-recording, we actually get to plug our new show that will have probably come out by the time this airs. But you should check out anyway because it's still running. <laughs> Oh, which is Intricate Rituals. Fucking for, fully forgot to mention that. It's called Intricate Rituals. It's on Spotify. It should be on Apple Podcasts by then. Who fucking knows? And it's co-hosted by me and Livia together. Yes. In which we talk about queerness in sports anime. Yes. As two non-binary lesbians ourselves. Which I think makes all the fucking difference. And I'm super excited yeah. to share those episodes. We've already recorded a bunch of them. And I'm, I'm super happy. I kind of wish Gibbon was a sports anime so that we could do... You know what? It's our fucking show. We can, we <laughs> can do extra show. episodes. We make the rules. Playing, Look, listening to Mafia sing is a sport. It's an endurance that, sport. Yeah, you know, it was a sport because it required endurance. Um, it required athleticism for me to keep my body from convulsing in on itself. <laughs> Absolutely. So this has been the amazing Livia at Area 51 Love Doll, also the co-host of Intricate Rituals, and my dear, 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 dear friend who I love and adore. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me again. Did you have anything you wanted to plug? That you plugged it. Yep, that's it. All right. Sick. All right, you guys. Be cringy, be gay, be happy. Thanks for tuning in to Cringe Warning. Remember to rate us five stars and leave us a sweet review where you can. If you have a question or a comment, tweet us at podcast underscore cringe or tweet me directly at thebrandyrose on Twitter. If you want to support this podcast, repay what you can. The cash app is dollar sign tip brandy. That's T-I-P-B-R-A-N-D-Y. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Stay safe, be kind, and be cringy.